All right, if you would, take your Bible and open to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And, and as we uh, continue to think about the cross this morning and what it looks like to live that out as a church, to be part of what God's doing in the life of our church, just a couple of quick notes before we get into that. The first of which is that this afternoon, I'm going to give you a couple of opportunities to jump into at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, choir practice is, is going to be one of those options. And the other option is that out here in the lobby, the main lobby, we are hosting a virtual uh, connection event and fundraising event, but primarily just informational event about the Hope Pregnancy Centers. And so if you're curious about what goes on locally in terms of reaching out to, uh, to moms and, and to dads as well who are going into a pregnancy that was unexpected or unplanned, how do we respond with the gospel in that situation? This afternoon at 4 o'clock out here will be a great opportunity to, to connect with that. And so that, that's this week, a great way to get connected this afternoon, either through choir or through that event. Also, looking ahead a couple of weeks, let me give you a, a heads up on something that would be particularly uh, important and maybe confusing if you're a part of this 915 service. So in a couple of weeks, we are having our annual men's conference where we have someone in to speak and, and to encourage our guys from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock in the evening. He's coming from out of town, uh, John McGee, who actually traces back to First Baptist Moore here back in the day. And so John's going to be with us on October 4th. During the 915 time, there's going to be a combined women's Sunday school class and a combined men's Sunday school class happening over in the other building. Now, we make our plans, the Lord establishes our steps, this is one of those moments. So we were hoping that October 4th would be the Sunday, we might just transition back to one worship service, one Sunday school, we'll make that transition. We're just not ready for that yet. We, we need to keep this 915 option in place. It's really been helpful for some of our Sunday school, and it provides spacing that we wouldn't have otherwise, and everything's just moving a little slower uh, than maybe we thought it would in terms of how do we handle these things. So that's my long way to say, here's what we're doing October 4th. We will still have this 9.15 a.m. worship gathering. At the same time, if you want to connect with the men's ministry or women's ministry events that are happening over in the other building at 9.15, you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings in here. <laughs> so know you have that option, and then at 10.45, everything will look just the way it has. So 9.15 option remains in, uh, in session for October 4th. And at the same time, we'll have some combined events going on over in the other building. So if that didn't confuse you, thankfully the good news of Jesus is crystal clear this morning, okay? So we're going to get to the good news uh, at, at this moment if that was not confusing enough. So here we go. Galatians chapter 5. Let me start in verse 2. And I just want to read a couple of verses to get us started here this morning as we think about this topic of the, of the cross of Christ. Galatians 5, verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, sometimes in life, and, and this is particularly true of me, I have to own this, 
Sometimes in life, we just simply overcomplicate things. Uh, my life motto, you don't need a life motto, but I have a little bit of a life motto. <laughs> my life motto is that I am able to make simple things complicated and complicated things simple. So that's just been one of my things that has followed me through life. If you give me a complicated topic, I feel like I have a, an ability to, to relate that in a simple way that people can understand. If you give me a simple topic, I can complicate it for you in a hurry, uh, just like I probably already did this morning for you in, in some ways. We just have a tendency, if we're not careful, to complicate things and think the Lord, that he is so kind and gracious to us, that he gives us ways so that even in our simple minds and hearts, we can understand the good news of Jesus. You may have heard before that the good news of Jesus, and sometimes we talk about the Bible in this way, that it is deep enough for an elephant to swim in, and it is simple enough for a child to wade in. Uh, that when we talk about the things of God, there are depths to that that we can explore and understand and get into it. And then there are simple things that God gives us just so that we're able to connect with that good news. That's one of the things I love, the symbols of Christianity. You think about baptism. When someone is baptized and we talk with that person before baptism, we talk with them about how this is just a simple picture of the good news of Jesus. That when a kid watches baptism happen, when an adult who doesn't know much about the things of the Bible or the things of Christianity and they're coming in fresh, when they watch baptism, they see someone go down in the water and they're seeing a picture of death, that Christ died for us and because of his death we are made clean. They see that person come up out of the water. It's a picture of resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead and as we are in Christ, we have hope. And then they see that pe person leave the baptistry because they're gonna go forward and live as a follower of Jesus. The most simple thing, and yet it tells us about the good news of Jesus. And that's one of the reasons I love the symbol of the cross. In the cross, as many of you have probably explained to people over the years or had explained to you, what do you have? You have a vertical dimension. You have the vertical piece. And you have the horizontal piece. And you might be saying, surely, Owen, it's not, it's, that's not what you're going for. This, that's exactly what I'm going for this morning. That is the picture of the cross, that through the cross of Jesus, we are made right with God. Our vertical relationship with God is transformed because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And there's a horizontal dimension to that, right? That because of the cross, because of what it means to believe in Jesus and to follow him, it transforms the way I relate to other people. So when you see the cross, what do you see? You see your relationship with God, you see the vertical piece of it, and you see your relationship with other people transformed. You see the horizontal piece. So simple, but so profound. I want you to see that in these verses this morning. Look back. Let's jump back into scripture here. Look back at verse two. And here's Paul saying look as well, as I keep using that word. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. A reminder of what's going on here. Paul is writing to the Galatians who he has come to and told them that their relationship with God is not based on their ethnic background. It's not based on how many good things they do. It's not based on getting their lives together. 
Their relationship with God is possible because of Jesus and what he has done on the cross. That Christ died for our sins and that in him he became the curse. He took the curse upon himself so that when we trust in him we have salvation. Paul has preached that and the Galatians have received it. Now what's happened though? Another group has come in to Galatia and it was gun to tell the people, hey, that's good that you've trusted in Jesus. That, that's good that you're taking that step. But if you really want to be worthy of God's salvation, if you really wanted to be right with God, you also need to be circumcised. You also need to ritually be made part of the people of God. And Paul says, make no mistake, Jesus, faith in Jesus, plus anything else is not the good news. Faith in Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. When we say, yeah, that's good that you believe in Jesus, but then you need to do X, Y, and Z, we have moved away from the good news of Jesus Christ. What makes us right with God? It is the cross of Christ and that alone. He has made that possible. And so sometimes we get this idea that, hey, that's good that you have Jesus. Just add a few other things onto it. Paul says, no, we're not going that direction. That if you accept circumcision in verse 3, you are obligated, you are putting yourself in debt to the whole law. You are living under a completely different way of life if you go in that direction. In fact, he says, you are severing, you are taking yourself away from the things of Christ. Jesus, and I hope this is good news, what I'm about to say, I hope it's really good news for, for your life and how you live it. Jesus is not something else we add to a plate that already feels full. <laughs> like sometimes you think about your life and you think, my plate is full. I, I can't add another thing to it. And then someone hears about Jesus, they hear about the gospel, they hear about Christianity, and they're like, ah, man, church, Jesus, I, I don't have room for anything else on my plate. Remember, Jesus is not something else we add to our lives. Jesus becomes our life. <laughs> when, when you trust in Jesus for salvation, you don't add him to an already full plate. He becomes for you a fresh plate that then you fill up with those things that God has given you to do in your life. He, he transforms. He is that new life, that new start that you don't have otherwise. So it's not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus is our life, and then that transforms how we live which you see when you get to the next verse. For through the Spirit, in verse 5, man, this is a good verse right here. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, those who are in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul says to his Jewish friends, it's fine that you're circumcised. I'm not, making, I'm not saying you can't be circumcised if you're a Jewish person and that's part. He's just saying that's not the difference maker. What's the difference maker? Faith, spirit, hope, righteousness, Christ Jesus. Those are the things that make a difference in our relationship with God. There's a tendency that some people have, and I think some of this is personality, some of this is the way that you were brought up and, and some of this is a spiritual battle but hear, hear me out on this what this spiritual battle looks like some people live with a sense that they have not done enough to stand before the Lord 
that they are always striving. I need to attend another religious service. I need to read another book. I need to do something else to get my life together. This is overwhelming weight and feeling that I have not done enough, that I need to continue to strive. I need to continue to do something else. This feeling of just, am I, am I good enough to stand before the Lord? No, on our own we're not, are we? Where's our hope? Our hope is in Christ. Look at this word that's there in verse five. It's the word weight. The Christian life is not about striving to get our lives together to stand before the Lord. The Christian life is not, have I attended enough services? Have I done enough good things? Have I participated in enough rituals? The Christian life is about waiting in the hope of the Lord. Waiting on the righteousness, the full righteousness that will be available to us in all of eternity. How do we wait? Is anyone here good at waiting? No, probably not. How do we wait? We wait in faith by the power of the Holy Spirit to say, Jesus, my hope is in you. I'm not going to spend my life running after other things. My hope is in you. And friends, what does that produce in your life? Peace and contentment and joy that goes beyond anything that you would ever find in the world. That is what Jesus provides. What could ever mess that up? <laughs> like you just want to end right there. Okay, thanks for being here. Just go on. What could ever mess that up? Verse seven. Paul says, you were running well. You believed all of these things to be true. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul says, you knew this to be true. Jesus provided hope and life and salvation. Who hindered you? Now, hindered is one of those fun New Testament words that you kind of drill down on and you see what's going on in, in the ancient world. The word hindered here, it, it does have an idea of being cut off, almost like being cut off in traffic or if you ever ran cross country or were in a track meet um, or I even think about that old show, Cool Runnings, about the Jamaican bobsled team. <laughs> and, and early in that process, those guys were running a race where they were trying to get into the Olympics. They were running an Olympic qualifying race. And one guy swerved out of his lane and tripped the others. And they all ended up not making it to the Olympics in track. So they made it there in bobsledding, uh, if you remember that, that old movie. But uh, the word hindered is an old Greek idea that you're running a race and somebody cuts you off. Like I said earlier, it may have been a long time since you ran, so just think about somebody cutting you off in traffic, and that's not hard to imagine what that, what that feels like. This is the idea that you were going down a path and something or someone got in your way. They hindered your progress. And Paul even changes his metaphor in verse 9 there, and he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Sometimes this leaven is, is a positive idea in the Bible. Here it's very negative. Paul says, and hear, hear me clearly, Paul says if you just get a few people in the group who start to cause doubts about the cross of Christ, it will impact the entire group. If you have people in the church, if you have people in the group who start to say, man, I don't know that Jesus is enough. I don't know that faith in Christ is enough for salvation. I think there's more that we need to do. There's more... If you get people that begin to doubt the sufficiency of the cross of Christ, it will begin to impact the entire church, the entire group. Paul says in verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you, 
who troubling is, is shaking up, stirring up. Have you ever been a part of a business or a sports team or a group where it felt like things in the group are really unstable, like they could fall apart at any moment? This is the idea of troubling. It, it almost has an earthquake feel to it. Somebody is coming in and they're eroding the foundation of the group. Verse 11 but if I, brothers, if you claim that I still preach circumcision, it seems like somebody was in the group saying, hey, Paul himself says you have to be circumcised. Uh, there is an indication in Acts 16 that, that Paul has Timothy circumcised for a particular purpose on a mission trip he was going on. Uh, but Paul says, wait, 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 hear me out on this. He says, if I was still preaching per circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, meaning if I was still saying you have to be circumcised, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now that word offense is the Greek word that if you just say it in English, it comes out as scandal. <laughs> the scandal of the cross. And it's a word that has to do with the idea of a stumbling block. So we're back around to our running uh, most of us don't have to run. We can just walk and trip over something. Uh, but this is the idea that, that you're running and you stub your toe on something, that there's an offense, there's something that gets in your way. Paul is saying to the people, don't beat yourself because the cross is already offensive. The cross is already a hard message. Some people look at the cross and it's just a cultural symbol. Nothing else. That They're okay not positive, not negative. They just look at the cross and it's just a cultural symbol. Some people look at the cross and they say, this is my only hope in life and death. Without the cross, I have nothing. Some people look at the cross though and it's a stumbling block. The idea that you would find life through death, that you claim that God himself became human and died in your place, this idea that it wouldn't be something related to our ethnicity or our culture like circumcision, but it would be the cross. And here's what really turns people off, and this may turn you off even if you're watching at home or listening right now. The scandal of the cross is the either-or nature of this message. Paul is saying salvation is either found in the cross or it's found in something else. This is not just something that we mix together and say, well, you do you, I'll do me, you believe what you want. The scandal of the cross is that in the cross we say this is the way to salvation. This is what God has provided for us to be made right with him. We don't look anywhere else. And this became a scandal to the people that they continued to trip over. They, they, they couldn't grasp. And so they continue to say, if you want to be made right with God, you have to be circumcised. Well, what does Paul have to say about that in verse 12? He is fired up now, right? Verse 12, he says, well, if you believe that, if you think you need that ritual cutting, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Surely he doesn't mean that, right? Maybe, maybe we're misreading this. Oh, no. Oh, no. That, that's, if you think that's what he's saying, that's exactly what he's saying right here. He's saying if you think a little ritual cutting is necessary to be made right with God? Why don't you go ahead and just cut the whole thing off? Why don't you just go ahead and go all the way if this is what you think is going to be made right? And he is saying this, he is saying this in an ancient part of the world, a cultural part of the world, where certain religious groups, certain pagan religious groups in the area, people would make themselves eunuchs. They would castrate themselves. They would, this was part of a religious ceremony. And Paul is saying to them, 
this is j- circumcision, it's, it, you're just treating it like another relig- ritual cutting that was already common in your area. You don't need to go that way. Thank God. <laughs> you don't need to go that way. In the cross, you have everything necessary for life and salvation. So let's think about this vertical piece just for a minute, and then we're, we're going we're gonna to transition. The vertical piece Is my relationship with God based completely on faith in the cross of Jesus Christ? You're watching at home, you're here in the room. What is your relationship with God based on? If it's anything other than the cross of Christ, we have missed what the good news of Jesus is. That because of the cross, we were able to be made right with God. Then this second question, let's pay really close attention to this. Do people in my life point me toward the cross of Christ or do they diminish the cross? Friends, this is the gift of the local church. This is the gift of people who stay in your back pocket, who care for you, who won't let you pull away from the things of Christ. You need people. I need people who come around me and constantly point me back to Jesus. I don't need people in my life constantly telling me I haven't done enough. I don't need people in my life constantly telling me I need to get my things together. I need people in my life who point me back to Jesus. And man, what a gift it is to be able to gather together and worship, to sing together, to pray together, to have conversations. One of the most beautiful things that happens in gathered worship are the conversations that happen before and after we come into this room. When you are speaking to people and encouraging them in the Lord and continuing to point them back to Christ and saying, remember where your hope is, we desperately need that. And when we surround ourselves with people who don't focus us toward the cross, man, it can really begin to erode us from the inside out faster than we realize. That's the vertical piece. Now the horizontal piece that we're just going to jump into a little bit this week, and it'll really pick up next week. But let's look at the horizontal piece just to get started, and then we're going to bump most of it to next week. Verse 13, Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom... As an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall live, love your neighbor as yourself. You have freedom through the cross of Christ. You are made right with God through Christ. That's the vertical element. Paul says when you have that freedom, the way you treat other people is going to be transformed. So it's not this idea that I'm free so I can do whatever I want to. Let me tell you this story that, that hopefully will make sense of that. When we were in New Orleans, and I was trying to finish up the PhD program, and I was working on my dissertation, we had the little kids, and I was working multiple jobs, and Amanda, as always, was the rock star who was holding everything together, and Amanda said, I'm going to take the kids back to Oklahoma for a week. I'm going to load up three little kids, I'm going to drive the 12 hours back to Oklahoma, I'm going to leave you here and you really need to finish this dissertation before I get back. <laughs> you, need, you need to commit yourself. I, you need to get this finished. You're going to have a whole week. Just, just do this. And so she loaded the kids up and drove back to Oklahoma. You know, in that week, I played more golf than I've ever played before. I had tons of people over the house. I slept. I caught up on sleep. Did I really do that? No, because I'm still married. You know, that, that, did, not, <laughs> that did not happen. She gave me that freedom And if I would have used that freedom to indulge my personal desires and preferences in that moment, would that have been a good use of that freedom? 
No, that would have been ultimate marriage stupidity in, in that moment to do that. She gave me that freedom so that we could move together, uh, ahead together as a family so I could get something done that I need to get done. When God gives us freedom in Christ, we don't take that freedom and use that as a wild card to then go and live however we want, do we? We have freedom in Christ for what purpose? To through love serve one another, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's the purpose of the cross, this horizontal piece? It's that God has showered his love on us through Christ so that we would then turn around and love and serve one another. What does a cross-shaped church look like? They make a big deal out of faith in Christ and they make a big deal out of loving and serving one another. Because when Jesus, by his grace, has transformed my life, it has to impact the way I treat one another, or treat others around me. What's the opposite of that? Well, you get verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Long before Mike Tyson uh, and Evander Holyfield, you have this passage right here. But if you bite and devour one another, the, the, the commentaries here are about this idea that if I bite back, at someone who bites me, that is the behavior of animals, not of humans created in the image of God. This idea that someone bites and devours and seeks to lash out at me, is my response to love and serve them or is my response to bite back? Now, can you think of any places in our world right now where people are biting at one another and seeking to devour one another and seeking to, instead of loving and serving one another, yeah, it doesn't take much work, does it, to think of what that looks like in, in the world around us? And Paul says, be careful. Be careful that the church does not begin to look like that. Make sure that people who have been transformed by the cross are loving and serving one another, not biting and devouring one another. So what's the horizontal piece look like? Just kind of giving a couple of summary thoughts here. The freedom to love and serve others. In what situations do I see people tempted to bite and devour one another? And I guess I should have added a little add-on, like, and, and where am I participating in that? Martin Luther, who's written an incredible paper back in the 1500s on this topic of freedom in Christ, says a Christian is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. In Christ, my life, the quality of my life, the future of my life is not at service of other people. So that's not what I'm aiming for. But when I've been transformed by Christ, I want to use my life to love and serve those around me. Vertical element, faith in Christ. Horizontal element, love and serve others. I pray when you see a picture of the cross, when you see someone wearing the cross around their neck, when you think about the cross, that vertical and that horizontal piece, you'll see that flowing out of Galatians chapter five. Now, here's what we get to do as a church right now. We're a cross-shaped church, and we have the chance to participate in a cross-shaped supper, <laughs> the Lord's Supper, communion, as we come together at this time. Remember, at this time of communion, of celebrating the Lord's Supper, there's the vertical element of I'm remembering what makes me right with God through Jesus, Christ's body and blood. 
But when we take of the Lord's Supper in a gathered worship like this, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says it also matters how you relate to one another. So when you take of this Lord's Supper right now, this is not primarily an individual act of worship. This is a corporate act of worship. That together we are saying the cross is our hope. I look up to Christ through faith and I look out to one another in love and service. How can I love and serve one another? The way we're going to do this is here in just a moment. After I pray, we have some folks that are going to go to these tables that are spread around the room. They're going to be there to serve the cups to you. Uh, so as you spread out and go to these tables to get the elements, you're going to get two cups stacked together. Get those cups and return to your seat. And then we're going to take those elements together. As you're walking to the tables, you're going to see some verses on the screen here in just a minute that you can reflect on and meditate on. But I want to pray for us. We've got some folks that are going to go to these tables and they're going to serve these elements to you. Take the elements back to your uh, seat. They're going to be two cups stacked together. Let me pray for us and we're going to do that right now. Father, thank you for the fact that you do not complicate things for us. We live in a complicated world, but God, you make things so simple for us. Through the picture of the cross, through that vertical beam of the cross that points up to you, God, that we are made right with you through faith in Jesus. And God, I pray if there is anyone here this morning who has never trusted in Jesus for salvation, God, I pray if there's anyone at home who's watching during the week and they have never trusted in Jesus, God, that they would do that right now, that that vertical peace would come into place. And God, remind us of the horizontal peace, that when we sing together as a church, we're not just singing to you, we're singing to one another. That when we take the Lord's Supper, it's not just about us and you, it's the church gathered together to love and serve one another. God, help us not to be a people who bite and devour one another. Help us not to be a people who trip one another. God, help us to be a people who encourage and love and serve one another in the name of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.